Today's episode has come about for two reasons. One is that I have been receiving questions from women who are maybe for the first time in their lives feeling very vulnerable because they are home alone during this time of pandemic. And so I'm addressing some of the concerns that women have raised about what to do to enhance their safety if they are alone during this period of time. The second reason that I'm putting this particular episode out right now is because the issue of an increase in domestic violence during the pandemic has been gaining more and more visibility over the last week or so, and many shelters and support organizations are reporting an incredible increase in calls to their hotlines. And I wanted to be able to bring some insight and some support and resources to the community so that if you or someone you know are in a situation where you are sheltering at home with an abuser, you have some sort of support and some tools that will help you get through this period of time. And for that, I have brought back one of our previous guests, Ruth Van Darlene. So it's a pretty full show today. And I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the show that tackles the subject of women and violence head on and shines the light on what women need to know and do to be safe. Here's your host, fourth degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia Gillicourt-Rude. Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Jolicoeur-Rude. Today, I want to talk about how you can improve your safety if you are living alone during this time of shelter-in-place in the pandemic. For many women, this has been a bit of a shock to go from normal life to sheltering in place in their home. And for women who are living alone, it has caused an increase in anxiety For many women, being safe at home was not really even something that they were worried about. They just kind of assumed that home was safe. And now, given the larger tone of uncertainty in the pandemic and an increased level of anxiety in general, many women are starting to really question whether or not they're actually safe as they are home alone. So I wanted to address some of the questions that have been sent in to me about what to do if you are living alone during this time of the pandemic. So I want to say a couple of things. The first is that dealing with the unknown or dealing with a brand new situation always increases our anxiety and triggers a certain amount of fear. And one of the things that can happen is that we let our imaginations run wild. It is super easy to catastrophize and to start imagining all of the worst possible things that could happen. And not only that, but not just imagining them, we often start to act as if they are inevitable, that they are for sure going to occur. And that just increases our anxiety and our fear. So, What is the antidote to your imagination running wild and catastrophizing and envisioning all kinds of horrible things? Well, the antidote to that is to build some mental blueprints 
to think about what situations might you actually be more vulnerable in and what can you do in those situations? Where might there be some areas of vulnerability in your living environment and what can you do to address those possible vulnerabilities? So how do you start with creating that mental blueprint? Well, the first thing to do is to do an assessment of your living environment. So take a look at different areas of your environment with an eye, like try to put yourself in a potential criminal's shoes. So if you are looking with the eyes of somebody who is either a predator or an opportunistic home invader or thief, what would you be looking for? How might you be evaluating your home and making that decision about whether or not it's going to be a good target? And you want to do this because your goal is to actually make your home environment less appealing and to make it a very unattractive target so that anybody who looks at it goes, "Mm, this one's going to be too much trouble and moves on to something else. So one place to start is by looking at how you get in and out of your home. So start with your front door. How do you get to your front door? What is the path that you take to get to your front door? Is it just a straight shot with easy open access right to the door? Or do you have to go through a gate? Do you live in an apartment complex where you actually have to come down a long hallway? Do you have to go up and down a stairway or in an elevator? And even before that, how do you even get into the building? Do you come in with a key or with an access control card? Is it one door or two? Does your building have a policy of not letting people tailgate when you come in the door? And do people actually observe that policy and not let other people come through with them? That means requiring everybody to actually use their access card to get in. So backtrack from your actual physical front door out to either where your car is or where you would come in off the street to get to your residence. And take note of any potential obstacles or barriers that you have to go through in order to get to your front door. In a wider view, take a look at the environment around your house or your apartment building. Is there a yard? Are there common areas? How is access controlled to those? Is it wide open? Are there fences and gates? Take a look at how access is managed there. If there is a fence, would it be easy to climb over? So take a look at the environment around your building. Notice what other buildings are in the area and notice what kind of an area you are in. There's a big difference between being right smack downtown in a major metropolis and being out in the country in a rural environment. So take a look. You may have neighbors super close. You may have no neighbor for more than a mile. You may have restaurants or other businesses that right now are closed down, so there's actually nobody around. Or you might actually have other locations, maybe even a hospital near your house. 
So think about what is in your immediate surrounding area and think about how many people are coming and going there at different times of day. Would it be easy to spot somebody who is out of place? Would it be easy for somebody who doesn't belong to actually gain access to your apartment building or to your home? Think also if you have pets and dogs in particular about if you have to take them out to relieve themselves or go play, where do you do that? What does that environment look like and how do you get in and out of it? Is that an area where somebody might be able to get into that area and wait for you to show up with your pet? Do you get deliveries? Are you having things delivered by Instacart and DoorDash and other delivery services? If you are, can you take advantage of their contact-free delivery service? Or are you having to give them access to come into your building or to come up to your front door so that you can receive your deliveries? So with all of those things, you want to do a very thorough evaluation of how people can get in and get out of all of those different areas, working your way out from your front door out to the street and into the community nearby. As you're doing that, look at what kind of lighting is in that environment. Is it a well-lit area or are there places where the lighting is not so good, where there are shadows? Are there things that a person could hide behind? Are there things like great big pillars that are part of the building or shrubbery near the building, trees, things like that, where somebody could actually hide behind them and you might not even see them until it's too late? If you have a garage, how are you getting to your garage? Is there a door between your garage and your house? If you have your car in a parking garage, how do you get in and out of the parking garage and how is access control to that? If you have a remote for your garage door, where do you keep that? Do you keep it in your car? Is it something that somebody else might be able to gain access to? Are there things in the environment around the building, whether it's an apartment building or a house? that people might be able to use to help them get into your place? Are there ladders or tools or sometimes even trash cans up against a building can make it much easier to get into things that otherwise they wouldn't be able to reach? So take a look at all of those kinds of things. So you can see you need to do a very thorough assessment of your physical environment and how people may be able to get in and get out. and. I just want to caution you that you can't rely on people following the rules. I mentioned tailgating as something to watch out for if you're in an apartment complex. And that was something that back when I worked at Apple uh, was a constant issue because access to all the buildings was strictly controlled by people's badges. You had to have a badge to get in. And time and time and time again, I saw multiple people use their badge to go in and not even notice that somebody came in right on their heels and did not also scan their badge. That is the exact same thing that can happen in an apartment complex. And you may think that you are safe and secure behind this access controlled doorway, 
but it may not be as safe as you think. That goes for if you live in a gated community or an area where there is a guard that you have to get through. The same thing can happen in that environment too. So take a good look around how you get in and out of your area and how you get actually to your front door. Take a look inside your house and see where there might be other ways to get in other than your front door. Most homes obviously have back doors or sliding doors, and of course, they all have windows. So how do you get in and out there? And how do you keep those things inaccessible to people that you don't want to be able to use them to get in and out? I'm going to talk about tools in just a minute, but just do an assessment of those things too. Same goes in an apartment complex. You most likely have windows. You want to take a look at those. And you also want to look and see if there are connecting doorways between your unit and another unit and other access issues like that. Now that you have done an assessment, you need to think about if something happened. And honestly, what most women are most afraid of is a home invasion. So that's really what I'm going to focus on right now. If something were to happen, if somebody managed to get into your actual living environment, what could you do to either add or take away something from your living environment that would make your safety better? What could you do that would improve your safety by making you a harder target to get to? So what possible solutions could you come up with for that scenario of somebody breaking into your home? Well, there are a lot of products that are available that might be useful to you. There are security bars that you can use on doors to wedge under the doorknob. There are bars and things that you can put in sliding doors on patios so that they can't easily be slid open. You can always install additional things like deadbolts. There are any number of ways that you can secure doors a little bit better. And I would encourage you to use those if you don't have them. Go out and order some or see if there are some available at a hardware store. And um, do what you can to improve the security of your doors. Do you have an alarm system? If you do, you should be using it because it's not going to do you any good if it's not on. If you don't have an alarm system, you can kind of create one because you can now buy door and window alarms that make a ton of noise if the door or the window is opened. You can also get a little door stop that you can actually also use on windows that is an alarm. So you can actually wedge it underneath the door or wedge it in a window so that if somebody tries to open it, that goes off. And those piercing alarms can be a wonderful deterrent because, of course, criminals don't want to draw any attention to what they're doing. So causing a commotion and making a ton of noise with an alarm is a great thing. If you don't have anything like that, you may have to improvise some other way of setting something up by your doors and your windows that will make noise if somebody opens them and tries to come in. Do you know your neighbors? Do you have their contact information? Now is a really good time to know who your neighbors are and to know how to get in touch with them. It is a wonderful thing if you can just reach out and 
check in with them, see how they're doing, make sure they're safe, and let them know that you would appreciate them doing that too. Possibly create a little agreement that if either of you happens to have an issue or is worried about something, that you can call each other. So I would highly recommend getting in touch with your neighbors. Obviously, if somebody's breaking into your home, you can get to the phone and dial 911. Hopefully, they will show up eventually. I wouldn't necessarily count on being able to make that call right then in the moment, but that should be an option and you should keep your phone, your personal cell phone, or if you have a house phone, I actually have both. I have my cell phone, which I keep with me pretty much all the time. And I actually have a landline with a old-fashioned rotary dialing phone in my home. So I actually have two ways to get a call out if I need to. I would encourage you to make sure that your phone is well-charged and that you know where it is. I say that kind of laughing at myself because I am notorious for coming in the door and putting my phone down and then forgetting where it was. So I'm trying to do a lot better about knowing where my phone is because it's not going to do me any good if I can't actually lay my hand on it if I need it. So same thing for you. If you are going to rely on your cell phone, make sure it's charged and make sure you know where it is so that if you need it, you can grab it. Somehow those things don't seem quite sufficient. So I want to offer you an idea about creating a safe room. This is something that, of course, you see all the time in movies, but nobody really tells you how to do it if you want to have one in your own house. And it really doesn't have to be a multi-million dollar high-tech room that you can lock down in for weeks at a time. That's not necessary. What you need is a room that has both a door and a window. You want your door to be something that you can lock with a deadbolt and maybe reinforce with a bar. And you want your window to be one that you can get out of if you have to. Now, it may not be a ground floor level window, but check outside of it and see what would happen if you needed to go out the window. Hopefully, you would not be tumbling 20 feet to the ground. So choose a room if you can that has a window that you could escape out of if you absolutely had to. If somebody who breaks into your house is armed, which likely they will be, if they have a firearm, you want to know that you have something in your safe room that you can use for cover. And normally in a house, that stuff is furniture. So a heavy dresser or a bookcase might serve. Worst case is you could try to pile up some other things and make a barrier. People commonly think that a mattress is a great way to give yourself cover. Honestly, I don't think my mattress would be much good for that because any bullet would just go right through it. So you want to find something that you could put in between you and a potential bullet coming through your window that will give you some cover, some way of absorbing that bullet and not having it get to you. If you have a firearm, you want that to be in your safe room. If you have a taser or another kind of weapon, you want to have one of those in your safe room as well. Won't do you any good if it's in some other part of the house and you can't get to it. This is a case where having multiples is actually a great idea. So you may have one stashed in one place and one stashed in your safe room. Same thing for having a cell phone. As I said, like I am not so hot at having a great understanding of where I last put my cell phone down. 
So if I race to my safe room and close and lock the door and then realize I don't have my cell phone, I could be kind of screwed. The solution to that is to take one of your old cell phones or go out and buy a cheap one and make sure that it's charged and be able to use that if you need to make a call out. Even an old cell phone that does not subscribe to a service can still be used for a 911 call. It just has to be charged. So make sure that you have some way of communicating out of that safe room. Now, if you think that someone is breaking into your home, if you get a feeling that says, oh crap, I think somebody's at the door, or what was that weird sound at the window? Trust your intuition. You're getting that warning sign, that bad feeling for a reason. And it won't do anything at all if you listen to that and take action. There's no negative consequence to that. However, if you get that uncomfortable feeling, that creepy, I feel like I'm being watched, I feel like there's somebody in here feeling, and you talk your way out of it, you're like, eh, probably, you know, just my imagination running wild. There could be a downside to that. So trust when you get that feeling that something might be wrong, even if you can't actually put your finger on it, trust it and take action to get yourself safe. If you get a sudden spike of fear, which is what will happen if somebody's actually breaking into your house, Take a deep breath because in order for you to function and come up with a plan and take action, you need to have oxygen in your system and you need to have oxygen to your brain. So take a breath and here's where those mental blueprints will come in handy. If you have gone through a potential scenario and basically played it out in your mind about what could I do? then you already have that accessible in your brain and you're going to get right to it very quickly. So take that breath and let that mental blueprint that is most appropriate to your situation come right up and use that as a guide to take action. Protect yourself in whatever way is necessary. And just understand that People like this who might be breaking into your home right now are either after property or they're after you. If it's property, unless it's something that you are happy to lose your life over, just let it go. Do whatever you need to do so that they can get what they want and get out. And don't be attached to objects and possessions because pretty much everything can be replaced. And if not, I really question yourself as to whether or not it's something that you're willing to fight over and potentially lose your life over. If they're not after property and they're actually after you, you may be able to devalue yourself as a potential victim by saying something or acting in a particular way that grosses them out or just makes them reluctant to actually proceed with victimizing you. I'm sure you've heard of women who have been assaulted who managed to derail the assault by saying that they were on their period. That might work. It might not, but it might. You might be able to derail things by saying that you're quarantined because you just got diagnosed with COVID-19. Who knows? It might work. It might not. 
these are things that you're going to have to think of because it all depends on the scenario that you're in. And obviously, I cannot predict what is going to work with any potential perpetrator. So it's going to vary according to the situation and according to the person that you're dealing with. You may be able to establish some kind of a connection with them to create some empathy between you and that person. That can also help to change the course of events. But for a predator who is intent on victimizing you, most likely none of those things are going to work and you may end up having to fight for your life. If you do end up in a situation where you have to fight for your life, give yourself permission to do whatever it takes to get to safety. That might mean injuring the person. It might mean disabling them. It might even mean doing so much that you kill them. Remember what a valuable person you are and that you truly matter. Your presence on the planet is important. You are a VIP to your loved ones and to your friends and family. And it would matter if you did not survive. So remember that and give yourself permission to do whatever it takes to get to a point where you can get to safety. And remember to keep fighting until you're safe. Don't quit. Don't give up. If something doesn't work, try something else. If you're doing things and you're not getting enough results, do them more. Bring more ferocity. Bring more fire. Really unleash the ferocious, powerful woman who is inside you. Tap into that so that you can do whatever it takes to get safe. Remember, you are a powerful, badass woman with amazing strength and lots of options and resources. You can keep yourself safe by preparing mentally and physically. And I hope that some of the tips and the insights that I've shared today give you some ideas about things that you can do so that as you shelter in place at home, you feel and are more safe and secure. Now we are going to switch gears and go to our interview with Ruthven Darlene of Women SV. We are welcoming back a previous guest on the podcast. Actually, she was in episode nine. And she's back again today because it's really important to talk about this specific subject right now. Ruthven Darlene is the founder of Women of Silicon Valley, also known as Women SV. Women SV helps survivors address the risks and challenges of being trapped in a relationship with an abuser. And they also offer professional trainings that assist providers in delivering more trauma-informed care to their patients, students, and clients. So in episode nine, we had a quite in-depth, intensive conversation about domestic violence. And today, I wanted to have Ruth Ben come back on the show to talk about what is going on for women who are experiencing the stay-at-home situation for the pandemic in their homes with their abusers. So welcome back to the show, Ruth Ben. Thank you, Cynthia. Such a pleasure to be back with you. Well, it's such an important topic, and I couldn't think of anybody better to reach out to to ask 
to provide some insight and information and support for women who are experiencing this horrific situation of basically being trapped at home with their abusers. So thank you for agreeing to come back on very short notice to record this. Well, thank you, Cynthia, for having me. And it is such a a timely topic now, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to talk about some of the additional challenges that women are facing right now when they are with an abuser. Yeah. Well, have you noticed an increase or a decrease in calls to your organization for support? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm noticing an increase in calls for women who are not living with their abuser currently. For those who are still with their abuser, it's increasingly difficult for them to reach out for help. I'm anticipating we're going to get an influx of calls uh, once the, the uh, shelter-in-place order has lifted. But for those who are with their abuser now, they'll call me when they can snatch a moment. Uh, her partner is asleep or he's downstairs and she is uh, sneaking up into her bedroom to uh, call me but has to get off the phone sometimes quite suddenly if she uh, hears him coming up the stairs. Last week, a lady called me from her backyard and her husband was still asleep. And when she saw him come to the door, that was it for our uh, phone call. And she later told him that she was participating in a women's uh, a study group. So they have different alibis. But you can imagine if you are already walking, living uh, on eggshells with your abuser, how heightened the tension is now when he's there uh, 24-7. How does she break away to make a phone call to a domestic violence advocate or to an attorney or uh, a therapist? When you make these calls, you don't always reach them right away, and they're expecting you to leave a callback number. Is that even safe now? So uh, it's harder and harder for women to start doing research, to reach out for help, to make appointments if they are wanting to leave. My goodness. Yeah, I mean, it's not like it's easy in the first place, but this has just really amplified the difficulties. Right. Uh, In the old days, I mean, she could go out to a library and do research online. She could uh, look at books on the topic to get better educated. The focus of our program is on women involved with powerful, sophisticated abusers. So we deal with physical and sexual violence, but uh, so much more damaging is the abuse that's done on on an invisible level, the emotional, the psychological abuse that gets into her skin chips away at her identity, uh, who she is as a person, as a woman. Many of my ladies have said before, I used to be smart. I used to be happy. I used to run my own you know, company or I had the sense that I was in charge of my life and that has been eroded by being with their abuser. And so now when they're trying to sort of figure out what's going on, the first step is really to do some research. And they've been able to do that in the past, going to the library or going to a domestic violence drop-in support group or reaching out and uh, to talk to a therapist, but one who understands this dynamic. And I'm, I have to say a lot of therapists, unfortunately, do not receive sufficient training on dealing with this issue. And many of, uh, many of our ladies have ended up doing couples counseling, which is not recommended with this type of personality that she's engaged with. So that initial research that can take her a step closer to freedom has been cut off. The drop-in support groups, the, the library, the doing research online at a safe computer those avenues have been closed to her, which adds this extra level of challenge. Right. Well, you you also mentioned that you're getting calls from women who aren't trapped with their abuser. What what are they calling uh, to look for support with? Oh, yes. Well, so many things. Like, let's say, for example, 
they have children and the children have been going back and forth between dad's place and her place. Now with the shelter in place order, she may be uh, being very careful uh, around hygiene and safety concerns and social distancing. And then she does the exchange with dad and he's having his new girlfriend come over. Maybe his girlfriend is bringing her kids over or dad has been not obeying the shelter in place order. And so uh, sometimes my ladies are dealing with their own issues like uh, autoimmune issues and then living in fear of what is their, their child going to bring home today. And if she is wanting to stop that custody arrangement now for her own safety and for her children's health, she's at risk of losing custody altogether by not obeying the custody orders. And if the visitation, if there's been visitation where the, there's maybe a restraining order in place, but he's uh, been able to have maybe unsupervised visitation with the child in the past. Now he's doing visits with their child using Zoom, uh, a video conferencing, doing it by that. And here she is having left her abuser and now being exposed to having his voice, his presence in her home several times a week and how re-traumatizing that is to have to have the very person that she's fled from be in her home uh, with her child uh, several times a week. So sometimes also these guys are saying, I'm not going to be able to pay you spousal support. or I've got to reduce my child support payments now because of the, uh, because of COVID-19, I'm not able to work anymore. Or he may be threatening uh, not to work anymore because of this. So she's living either in fear of having her uh, support cut off or drastically, or, or it's already been drastically reduced uh, because of the virus. Anything in the hands of an abuser can be weaponized. So sometimes he will threaten, if they're still living together, to, uh, to kick her out of the house. If she's been living with her abusive partner and planning her escape, and she's been in the middle of that exit strategy, sometimes a friend or uh, a relative or Somebody else has offered her safe uh, haven, and she's been in the process of uh, stockpiling money and putting her supplies together, putting her go bag together, getting everything in place to leave so that she could go and stay with this friend or uh, this relative. Now that escape avenue has been cut off because many people don't want to risk having somebody come and stay with them now with the shelter-in-place order, uh, and especially if she has children. And especially if they are in a high risk category themselves. So that's happened to a number of uh, our uh, ladies here that they've been uh, wanting to go and stay at a friend's or a relative's. And now they, they can't because of you know, the safety concerns if they're in a high risk category. Wow, that's just mind boggling. You're the first person that I've heard talking about most of those issues. I mean, honestly, I hadn't even thought of some of them. Well, yes, here's, here's another. And thank you for just really helping me to get the word out and to shine a light on this issue. It's such an important platform that you're offering, Cynthia. I did want to mention one other thing about school-age children. Children who in the past were able to go to, to school and have some kind of break, respite, sanctuary from their home. You know, home is supposed to be our sanctuary. But for women and children who are living with an abusive partner, Everything outside the home becomes their sanctuary, and home is the place where they have to batten the hatches and really put up their guard because it's not a safe place. So, in the past, women, uh, sorry, children could be going to school and they'd be able to talk to a teacher, and the teacher could, you know, in some cases, advocate for them or even call CPS and 
get some kind of intervention or at least be a sounding board for the for the child some sense of uh, safety offering a sense of safety for the child a safe person to talk to and now that children have been sent home and they're doing homeschooling now that avenue has been cut off so what do children do now when mom is afraid when when the child is afraid and when dad is he's ruling the roost you know 24 7 now once again the children are the ultimate hidden victims of domestic violence who is coming to their rescue now yes and i think what really is disturbing for me just in thinking about that aspect of it is that basically there are no escapes for the women and kids who are trapped at home with an abuser and the abuser has basically been handed the perfect situation you know, on a gold platter to really be as controlling and as, and as abusive as he wants to be with a whole bunch of other tools. Because like you mentioned, like homeschooling, right? There's a whole other area to exercise control and to use that as a vehicle for abuse. Can you speak a little bit more about like how this situation has really given abusers a lot more tools and avenues to do their thing? Yeah, well, you used a really key word there, control. So that's the you know the underlying dynamics of domestic violence are power and control, the abuse of power in order to control another person. And uh, one of the tactics they use is trying to isolate their partner from other sources of support. They try to take off all those. Uh, let's say you know compare it to a chessboard. Take uh, take all the support pieces off the board so she's open and vulnerable to attack. And then his gaslighting, the word, the mind games he plays with her can be all the more effective because she's not having anybody, any other external sources to compare her new reality with. It is often very effective at making her think that it's her problem. She's uh, the crazy one. She's the abuser. She's, there's something wrong with her. And if she doesn't have anybody to compare that to, then she's going to end up sometimes believing that uh, the fault is all with her. I am worried about more and more women thinking about suicide as a way out. In the danger assessment that I give to all our domestic violence uh, survivors, uh, one of the questions is, have you ever considered suicide? And the reason that's on there is because no matter how healthy and normal you might be, when you're put into a situation where all your escape routes have been cut off, where there is no other option for you, then that that's when hope dies. And when hope dies, that that spirit, that ember that makes you want to live and see another day can is in danger of going out as well. So I worry about increased thoughts about suicide as being the only way out from this. I worry about children starting to think about harming themselves. If not committing suicide, then sometimes kids get into cutting uh, as a way of relieving that anxiety and depression and that uh, feelings of uh, being traumatized that happen when you're living with an abuser. Children can suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder too. And children and their the uh, surviving parent, the parent who's a survivor, they are living like prisoners of war. They are in a hostage situation. And never has that been more amplified than now when it's a sort of a, a government mandate that everybody stay at home. Right. Shelters are full. Courts have shut down except for one or two departments that are only taking like very 
emergent cases. And it's so hard for uh, survivors to have their voice heard now to help them rise to the top of that triage pile when so many cases are, uh, have been swept to the side now with the, with the pandemic. It adds another layer of uh, challenge for women in dealing with this situation. But if we think about this idea of control from the abuser's perspective, on the one hand, yes, it's an ideal situation for him if he wanted to isolate his partner from all outside sources of support. But on the other hand, you can imagine how frustrating it is for an abuser who is all about controlling others to now be in a position where he is being controlled by external forces, being told he can't do this, he can't do that, can't go to work or can't go to a park or can't go out to eat in a restaurant or go to a movie or do whatever. He's used to having free reign over his life, keeping tight control over those in his sphere of influence while being perfectly free to come and go as he pleases himself. So we've got this kind of already simmering volcano of um, somebody that's about to get angry, is angry, or has just gotten angry. Those are typically his three mood states to now having that exaggerated, exacerbated by uh, having this extra layer of control put on him. So this kind of powder keg, this fuse that's uh, you know been already lit, you can imagine what a powder keg it is for women and children to be living with now. So so what can women do to protect themselves in that situation? Yeah, well, there's a there's a few things. I would start internally with this type of person, the type of abuser that they're living with, a lot of the damage that's being done is uh, internal, that emotional, psychological manipulation, getting inside her head to try to push her buttons to get her to say or do something. Uh, that's going to make her look like she's losing control. So he can pick up the phone and call the police and say, he's afraid, she's attacked him. I've had many ladies who've been set up to be made to look like they are crazy, out of control or abusive. And then the police have been called and he's even like scratched his face or done something to himself to make it look like she's attacked him. And then she ends up getting carted away and put on a psychiatric hold or or arrested and ends up losing custody of the children and has a restraining order placed on her. So let's back up a little bit and say, what, uh, what could we do to mitigate that risk of having him push her buttons, throw out the bait and just make it very difficult for her not to take it or not to not to react? It starts with self-care. Self-care might have been a luxury before, but now it's an essential. Uh, one of the tactics that these guys use is um, sleep deprivation. It's easier to be provoked to do to end up doing something to lash out to act from an emotional state if you are sleep deprived. Sleep deprivation is actually a kind of domestic violence. Blocking somebody from um, uh, leaving a room, destroying their personal property, and keeping them from sleeping, punching the wall beside them, towering over them, intimidating them. This is all disturbing somebody's peace. So uh, these are all things to think about because often uh, women think, oh, he didn't hit me. Maybe it's not technically domestic violence. But here in California, all of those things I just mentioned are. But I had a case where one of my ladies was, um, she was cornered and she just had some um, a medical work done earlier that day. And she was on a prescription medication to deal with the pain. So she was thinking, she was a little fuzzy headed at the time. He backed her into a corner and said, why don't you go ahead and slap me? I know you want to. Slap me, slap me, slap me. And she did. She made the mistake of reacting. And she reached out for the first time in her life and 
and slapped him. And he slapped himself even harder to make the impression on his face more lasting. He called the police and said that what she had done, they asked who who struck the first blow. She admitted that she had. She, because of her cultural background, didn't want to admit that she was afraid of her partner. When people are looking for restraining orders, they want to know, what did this person do and how did you react? Were you afraid? But because of her stoic background, she was not able to admit that she was afraid of her partner. And she ended up losing custody of her children and got a restraining order against her. So backing up again, let's say, how could she avoid having that happen? Once we know that this is a potential tactic, uh, we're less likely to get sucked into it and react emotionally. There's that saying, pay no attention. This is about magicians, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. A lot of it is smoke and mirrors. They want to distract you with one action to get you to do something else uh, so they can ambush you with another. So knowing that that's how they think, uh, we can start to respond in a, uh, from our intellect rather than from our uh, emotional base. But it begins with getting enough sleep, getting enough to eat, uh, having a quiet moment to pray or meditate during the day. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I, I draw on that infinite source, and that gives me power and strength to stay the course in difficult emotional times. Not everybody um, has that faith, but perhaps they believe in something else. Is there some other, some higher power that they can access to give them strength and balance and composure? Could they meditate, spend a few quiet moments before having to uh, to uh, to react to act to interact with their partner, could they spend a few quiet moments to breathe in, to hold that breath, and then to breathe out for a longer period of time than breathing in? If you breathe into the count of four and hold it to the count of six, and breathe out to the count of six or eight, breathe out for longer than you breathe in. It's been clinically shown to reduce your blood pressure. So how can they stay focused so they're not reacting viscerally from his attempts to provoke them? Then another tactic, uh, again, starting with the internal uh, control, is something called the gray rock method. If he's looking to get a rise out of her, to get a response out of her, can she sort of be aware of that and be careful about jumping in to react defensively? Uh, if she doesn't reach out and, t- and, and put, touch him aggressively, is she going to get pulled into an argument or become defensive and end up apologizing for something that he did? On the, on the one hand, you want, it's about keeping the peace as much as you can, placating, surrendering if you need to, but also being careful not to react and overreact to the point where you are sort of upping the game and he's getting a rise out of you or you're, you are defending yourself or countering your, uh, his attack with an, an attack of your own so that it turns into this sort of uh, vying, jockeying for position because he's always going to have to win. So if you can let his harsh words sort of roll off you, watch out for sort of letting him know the areas that you are your most vulnerable. The gray rock method can sort of help uh, help to keep you sort of centered and composed so that you are not showing him where to insert the sword. So these are internal tactics, uh, strategies, intellectually, to be thinking about what's he trying to do. Don't take it personally. It's not because there's anything wrong with you. It's because he's being abusive. He's behaving in an abusive manner. And that kind of pattern over time shows you that he is an abuser. And you're not going to change that uh, abuser. All you can do is, uh, as much as possible, trying to protect your heart, try to protect yourself from reacting and uh, responding instinctively, viscerally, 
and then be thinking physically. If we move from the inside out now, how can you protect yourself? If you're in the kitchen and you're seeing that things are starting to heat up, watch out for being in an area where there are sharp implements that can be weaponized like knives. Can you move the conversation to an area that's less dangerous, possibly near the door so you can get out the front door or the back door if you need to? Watch out for being trapped in the bathroom where there's only one exit and where there's hard surfaces that he could uh, shove, uh, shove you against. I've had a lady that ended up in a coma being shoved into a bathtub and hitting her head three times on the way down. So uh, watch out for those, uh, those places that are hard to uh, get away from. Can she have a go bag in her car in a place where he won't suspect, like in the, you know, the spare tire compartment where uh, she can have a few important documents, some cash, vanilla visa cards, a change of clothes, prescription medication and the prescription refill, uh, income tax returns or her uh, marriage certificate or birth certificate, important documents that if she needs to light out in a hurry, then, um, then she can leave. So we start from the inside and work out, is there a, a friend who has uh, offered to let her stay Can she be starting to think about her circle of influence now? Is there a place that she could go if need be? Wow, that's a really comprehensive look at a lot of different options. And I really like how you you work from the inside out. So a lot of different things that women can actually do. And one occurred to me as you were talking, which is that for women who have been with this, this abusive person for quite a while, I imagine that if you ask them, they could very readily identify the typical patterns, you know, kind of like the scripts that get run over and over and over again, uh, and probably recognize that that one of those is coming or is getting activated. So that's kind of an advantage that she has in being able to recognize the patterns that he has. Yes, you're, you're right, Cynthia. There are, sometimes you get a warning so one of my ladies, her, her son would say, I can tell what kind of mood dad is in just by the sound of his footsteps coming down the hall. Uh, sometimes uh, the way they open the door or uh, when they're coming home from work or the, the way they slam it once they arrive tells you uh, what to expect. Sometimes you can feel the, that sort of level of tension in the air rising. Speaking of working from the inside out, getting back in touch with that gut instinct, those uh, that woman's intuition that tells her that something's off, that he's upset about something or looking for a bone to pick. Uh, All of those are sort of early warning signs. It can help her start to plan and think strategically. Uh, But sometimes uh, the most innocuous conversation can turn into a minefield. She'll make a comment about, oh, I don't know, something that she saw in the news or or a movie that she saw on TV. And uh, and he'll, he'll turn it into something like, oh, you got so much time in your hands now that all you do is sit around and watch TV or like he'll, she'll take, he will take an innocent comment and it'll come out of left field. So the danger lies in thinking that she can control his behavior uh, 100%. That's unfortunately not the case. And that's that humbling moment, recognizing that she may have a thousand keys on her keychain and be trying to, trying one after another to unlock that behavior that's going to make him go back to being the person that she fell in love with or even behaving reasonably. In some cases, that 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 can happen. But uh, the examples I gave before, where she senses that sort of that the thickening of the tension in the air, but in other, there'll be other uh, cases where just the most innocent comment, or even a, a dish that she made today that was perfectly acceptable before, suddenly uh, it's not fit for a dog today. 
So uh, that's the crazy making piece. And if she can go back to thinking, this is not me, this is abuse, I didn't cause it, I can't control it, I can't change it, it's who he is. And if she can sort of guard her heart from being feeling like there's another knife that's gone into it or uh, guard her mind, her identity from thinking there's something wrong with her, it's not her, this is abuse. And to think that she's responsible for this, it's like saying to somebody, what were you wearing the night you got raped? She's a perfectly innocent victim when it comes to abuse. Right. And, you know, something else that just occurred to me is that we've been talking about women who are in situations with with partners that they already have experienced abusive behavior from. But I would imagine that with this situation and, you know, the incredible stresses that are being placed on people, that there may be partners who have not yet been abusive in that relationship who in this situation go that direction. Can you talk a little bit about that and what a woman who, like this is the first experience of her partner doing something abusive? Like I know there's, there's, it's hard to accept that first iteration could actually be real. So could you speak a little bit to, to what that woman might be able to do and how she can recognize it? Yeah. And what, what you're describing is sort of this sort of uh, a condensed version of what happens to women in the regular world when there isn't coronavirus floating around. So in the regular world, pre-COVID-19, women would meet someone like this and they would be charming and funny and enthusiastic about the, uh, the woman's life. And there would be, uh, sometimes we talk about love, love bombing, how everything looks so good in the beginning and he just seems to be every, uh, everything she's looking for in a partner. And then over time, as they start to get closer and as new milestones appear, she starts to see these early warning signs. Uh, maybe she's moved in with him. Maybe she's given up her job uh, to follow him or uh, to another part of the country. Maybe they've gotten married. Maybe she's gotten pregnant, had their first child. These are all milestones. And sometimes you don't really see the abusive behavior come out dramatically until one of these milestones has been reached. Kind of like these if-then computer statements, like if this set of um, conditions uh, appears, then it triggers another program. So unless you see that new set of circumstances, it's very hard to spot the early warning signs. So if we can go back and start to look in hindsight, sometimes they emerge oh, when they went to a restaurant, was he trying to order for her? Or when she wore this dress, was he saying, oh, that doesn't really fit you, or I don't think blue is your color? Or when they were talking about, oh, she was talking about um, maybe applying for a job, is he trying to say that she's not really the right fit for the job or not quite ready for that promotion? Is he starting to make comments about her friends uh, or how much time she's spending doing a hobby that it doesn't have anything to do with him? These little things are all uh, early. They're like pink flags that's showing this increasing level of control that he wants to have over her life. So she may see flashes of anger, uh, like road rage, for example, and then sweep that aside. Or he may make these uh, like offhand side comments to her, sarcastic, or make fun of her uh, in front of others or lose his temper. And then these are maybe one-off incidents that she sweeps under the carpet because so many other wonderful things are happening. That's when it's time to check in with her inner voice uh, because so often as, um, as women, we're taught to forgive, to turn the other cheek, to take everything into account, to look at things from his point of view. 
back to what I said earlier, anything in the hands of an abuser can become a weapon. Even her ability to forgive, to look at things from his point of view, to have empathy, love, compassion, over time that can become minimizing, denying, forgetting, numbing, uh, because it's too painful to think that he could be both this wonderful person and this horrible person. How could both of them fit in the same body? It's very difficult to reconcile Dr. Jekyll with Mr. Hyde, but over time, she may start to fully recognize that she won't get one without the other. But until that happens, it's going to be easy to slip into denial, to minimize, to forget, to numb herself, to the harsh words, to the sarcasm, to the flash of temper, to uh, destroying one of her precious uh, mementos or, or dishes or something that meant a lot to her in a, in a fit of rage or or embarrassing in front of others. These these one-offs can be forgotten and swept under the table. But if she can start to keep a journal uh, so that she doesn't lapse into denial, a, a quiet secret journal that he doesn't have access to, if she can start to document the things that he's doing and saying that scare her, that undermine her relationship with the with the children, with a with the date, what happened and how it made her feel. The date, what happened and how it made her feel. Uh, if it made her feel uh, diminished or frightened, uh, intimidated. Uh, this is all important information that can help her later if she's interested in seeing if she can get a restraining order. The courts are still doing emergency protective restraining orders, and they're pushing out the uh, extensions for temporary restraining orders now because of the uh, COVID-19. So she should still feel that there is help should she should she need it. But she's going to be vulnerable because of her isolated state to minimizing, denying, like Dorothy in the poppy fields going to sleep because, oh, it was just that one thing. Or he says, it's, I, I provoked him or I made him say that or I made him do that. Watch out for that. Uh, we never make another person do anything. He is in control of his actions. And now he wants to be in control of her actions Really, the control begins and ends in her, with her, in her skin. And she can take it back by starting to separate herself from her partner and say, that's not me, that's him. He is behaving in an abusive way. He is gaslighting me now. If she can start to get language around what he's doing, if she starts a, they start a discussion and it turns into an argument and he twists her, her words around to the point where she's doubting what she said earlier, that's something to pay attention to. Often a sign that you're with a gaslighter is uh, the sense of uh, confusion that you feel afterwards. Stress, anxiety, depression, confusion. These are all warning signs that you are living with a gaslighter who's performing emotional manipulation on you, mind games. Watch out for that. If she can keep tapping into her inner uh, voice that's telling her something's off here, if she doesn't listen to that inner voice, it's going to get drowned out over time by his voice getting louder and louder telling her she's crazy, there's something wrong with her. And if she doesn't watch out, she could end up feeling like she's going crazy, that she's so anxious and depressed, she may end up feeling suicidal. And I want to reassure her that suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary crisis. This too shall pass, even though it feels like it's going to last forever. It won't. And this is a message to children out there as well. Please know this too shall pass. This quarantine will not last forever. There is hope. There is light. Uh, there is freedom on the other side. In the meantime, if you can take extra good care of yourself, getting as much sleep as you can, eating nutritious food, uh, watching out for if you're an adult, don't take that extra glass of wine. Watch out that he's not trying to pump you full of something that's going to make you react viscerally, emotionally, 
rather than from your mind. Know that uh, you are a good and worthy person living with somebody that's committing a liberty crime. Even if his hand doesn't touch your, touch your body, if he is infringing on your right to live free and safe in your own home, that is a liberty crime. It's called coercive control, and it's illegal in parts of the United Kingdom. We have a ways to go yet to evolve to, their, to, uh, to that point. Well, I, I love what you have laid out there. And what I'm thinking is that for a woman whose partner is all of a sudden home all day, all night, trapped there in the home and has not previously exhibited behavior that she really recognized as potential abuse, uh, but who is now starting to do things, what you suggested about documenting everything I think is really important because that's when it kind of becomes real and you start to see the record of things, even if you don't actually believe that they're maybe not so bad, but if you start to see that record of, well, this happened on this day and this happened the next day and then this happened. But also I could, I could just hear in my own head the excusing things by saying, oh, well, he's just super stressed because he can't work or because he's trapped at home because of COVID, you know, and using that as the reason to sort of explain it all away and not recognize that this changing behavior and this escalating behavior actually is abusive. So those were the two things, you know, that really stood out to me for a woman who who hasn't already been embroiled in a clearly abusive relationship, you know, to really help her recognize and, and not try to dismiss what's going on. Yes. Beautifully said, Cynthia. Thank you for uh, pointing that out so clearly that it's re- it's super important to distinguish between abuse and other issues like stress, like does he have a mental illness? Is he bipolar? Uh, Does he have anxiety, depression? Uh, Has he lost his job? Uh, Does he have a drinking problem? These are all other issues. You can be an alcoholic and not be abusive. You can be bipolar and not be abusive. You can lose your job, be financially strapped, and not not be abusive. Abuse is a learned behavior, and all these other things can, can sort of lower the threshold to bring out that potential to behave in an abusive, abusive way. But uh, with the partners of the ladies that I work with, what is most often the case is it's who they are. This is who they are. They define themselves by their ability to have control over other people, and they abuse that, that control. And they do it in these subtle ways that can be very hard to identify. I write a column for our local newspaper, the Los Altos Town Crier, and I just have um, a six-part series. That's, uh, the first installment came out this week. And it's about the impact of domestic violence on survivors now with the uh, coronavirus circulating. And a part one talks about uh, what life was like before the coronavirus. But I do this column in our local paper from time to time. And I, uh, I always have ladies who reach out to me afterwards and they say, I didn't know I was in an abusive relationship until I read your column. And it's because they weren't being physically or sexually abused they were being emotionally, financially, technologically, spiritually abused. And these other types of abuse are so much harder to identify. But once we can start to put a vocabulary on it, say that's gaslighting or or that's financial abuse or that's coercive control, uh, that's manipulative behavior even. like Once we start to have language to put on it, then that's the first step towards taking our control back over it. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I'll put a link to that article in the show notes, too, so people can uh, read the first one and then hopefully continue on with the series, because I'm sure that is going to be an absolutely fabulous series. So thank you for writing that. That's that's a huge value right there. Thank you, Cynthia. Thank you. Yeah, I have another one as well. If they're interested, it came out this week, too. The New York Times Wirecutter online magazine interviewed me and a cybersecurity expert that we work with on technological abuse in intimate partner relationships. And I can get you the, the link for that too. Yes, I actually, I saw that and I shared it in my Born to be a Badass Collective in my <laughs> Facebook group. So yes, oh, I'll, I'll share that there too, but we will also put a link to that in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cynthia. Well, I want to wrap it up with one more question which is what advice would you give to friends and family members who know that their friend or their loved one is trapped in a home with an abusive person? What, what would you tell them? Yeah, oh, great question. I would suggest that if possible, they reach out to that friend to call them. And the first question could be, are you in a place where you could talk confidentially? And if they say no, then they could say, are you able, the next question could be, are you able to answer yes or no questions? And they could say yes or no. And if no, then then they could say, well, can I call you back? Uh, I'll call you back. But if they're, if they're able to check in with their, uh, their friend or family member and catch them at a time where their partner is sleeping or out, uh, out in the backyard, just to have that quiet, that quiet moment, or are they able to text? Can they safely text? There's a there's a there's an application called Signal, an app called Signal, uh, which is um, end-to-end encryption that allows uh, people to text or have voice calls uh, in a secure way. The caveat there is, if her partner has Signal, he's going to get a notice that she's downloaded it. But if he doesn't have Signal, then this could be a secure way for the family member to download Signal and to send a text to her through Signal in a way that he's not going to have uh, access to. So if there's a way that they can text privately or call, or if there's some kind of code word that if they do get a a quiet moment where they can have a a private conversation, could they set a password or a code word that, that she could give? Like, for example, I think my allergies are starting to act up, something like that. And could the family member know then that she's, there is real trouble and that the family member needs to show up or call the police or they'll have some kind of uh, agreed upon action that will be taken given this code word if it's not safe for her to actually say directly what's going on. Oh, that's that's really useful. Useful and like I didn't even know that there was an app like that. So that's that's good to know. I will see if I can find uh, a link to that to include in the show notes too. Uh, it, it just reminded me actually that I've seen several of my friends on Facebook post a very similar message that basically says, if you're stuck in quarantine with a toxic or an abusive partner, message me about blank, and I'll know to continually check in on you. And if you ask me about, you know, a different thing, I'll know to contact the police. And uh, I thought that was a really interesting way to get around it too. You know, I, I have not done that yet, but I could put something out that said, for example, you know, message me about horseback riding lessons and I'll know to check on you. And if you ask me about purchasing a puppy, I'll know to call the police. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was, uh, you, you just reminded me that I had seen that going by a couple of times. So that's another, another thing I suppose that we can put out there to help people who 
are having a hard time reaching outside the walls of their home slash prison right now. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you want to communicate out to the world about the COVID situation and the impact on, on women who are in a home with an abuser right now? Well, I'd like to let them know that, well, first of all, they can, if they are able to go online in a safe way, they could check out my website, womensv.org. They can reach out and call me to make an appointment to do an intake. And we could, if it seems like a good fit, we could invite them to our support group. They can call me at 833-966-3678. That's 833-966-3678. And the, the website again is WomenSV for Silicon Valley. And women is plural, WomenSV.org. So I want them to know that you are not alone. There are women all over the country, in fact, all over the world in a very similar situation to what you're having to deal with. It's not through any fault of your own. You entered this relationship with an open, loving heart. And this is not what you bargained for. This was not in the brochure. And I would ask you to just to stay the course if you can, to take very good care of yourself, to know that there are other women out there that have made it through this dark, this dark time. And you can too. It helps if you gather other people around you who understand, and we are there to help you in any way we can. But please take very good care of yourself and know that there are resources out there, and you deserve to live in peace and safety in your own home. And just keep your eyes on the prize there, and this quarantine will end, and you will eventually be set free. Oh, thank you. I I guess one question that comes up with that is you used to do your support group in person. Obviously that's not possible right now. So what, what are you doing? Yeah. Well, thank God for zoom, right? (laughs) That's uh, that's how we're doing our intakes and our follow-ups and our our zoom meetings. And now we're getting like 30 people in our support group. And I'm actually thinking, you know, here I, we are embracing technology now because we have ladies participating in it from all over the state. And I imagine soon it'll be from all over the country. And one day you might find me floating around in a ship at sea, talking to ladies from, you know, Ethiopia and Sri Lanka, and it'll all be good. Right. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm I'm glad that there is a platform like Zoom and that right now, women who maybe would not have ever known about you or been able to participate in your support group can actually connect with you and be part of that via Zoom. So that's great. That's That's a really positive side effect of this whole situation. Yes, absolutely. Well, Ruthven, Darlene, thank you so much for coming back on the show. This has been a wonderful little session here, and I'm sure that when it comes out, it will be widely listened to, and I hope that it reaches all the women who need to hear it. Thank you so much, Cynthia. I really am. I'm just delighted to partner with you in this and so grateful to you for the for the platform and for helping us to get the word out that there is hope and help out there. So thanks for being such a wonderful partner in this. Oh, thank you. I am so pleased and honored to be able to do this with you. Thank you. This has been the Born to be a Badass podcast. Stay safe and be a badass. You've been listening to the Born to be a Badass podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and be sure to share it with your friends. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and a review. Tune in regularly for more exciting insights and wisdom on women, violence, and safety. And until next time, embrace your inner badass.